If you have your Bibles, would you please turn to the book of Psalms? Psalm 11, we'll be in that psalm in just a moment. And I did not give a lot of warning to our media folks. We typically know where we're going with our messages uh, weeks in advance. In the week leading up to the actual sermon, we have inserts in the bulletin, scriptures all laid out. We have all those things done. But today is one of those days where the Lord um, yesterday began to speak some words to me from His Word. And I, I thought that I would actually maybe share that word with, we actually fed the LaGrange football team yesterday before they had an away game uh, against Barry College. And I was able to, I thought I had a, maybe a chance to share some of that word yesterday. Well, they arrive and, and they eat and I pray and they have to get on back on the road. And I wrestled most of the day with, with what should I preach? Should I go with what I prepared from the book of Ruth in our series, No More Excuses, Just Say Yes? Yet this morning the Lord really made it clear that I need to go this direction. So let me paint a little bit of the background of what's going on in the life of David as he wrote these words in Psalm 11. It's difficult to know the chronology of the Psalms and the timing and history in which the Psalm was written, but most biblical scholars believe that Psalm 11 was written out of King David's journey toward the throne, and he wasn't the king yet. So let me just, I'm not going to assume that everyone here knows uh, the story backwards and forwards of King David. So let me just kind of give some background about David and that will help us understand why he says the things that he says in Psalm 11. When Israel came out of Egypt led by Moses, Moses was their leader. He was a prophet He was also like a priest in that he would represent the people before God. They journey through the wilderness and then come into their own land, the promised land. And while they're in the land, they enter into this terrible period of the judges where different rulers would come and lead them. They had a lot of oppression, foreign enemies attacking and conquering. And we come to the book of 1 Samuel and God raises up another prophet to lead them. And that man is named Samuel. Unless the Lord redirects where we're going next week, we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 1, where Samuel's mother Hannah teaches us much about prayer. So in 1 Samuel, we see this young man Samuel become a leader in Israel. And God would speak to him very directly as a prophet. And Samuel was... The person's representative before God. He was their spiritual leader, but in essence, God was their king. Yet the people of Israel say, we don't want God to be our king. We want a king like all the other nations. The Lord speaks with Samuel about this. Samuel is heartbroken. He says, they didn't reject you, Samuel. They rejected me. Let them have a king, warn them what it means to have a king of their own, and go anoint the king that I'll show you. And the Lord led Samuel to anoint a man named Saul. 
So Samuel anoints Saul king. Saul looked like a king, head and shoulders above the rest. He was handsome. He was big. He was strong. He was a warrior. He was every person's dream to be king of Israel. If there was ever a king who could lead them in battle against their enemies, it would be Saul. But Saul had a big problem. He didn't trust the Lord. He didn't listen to what God would give him to do, how God would speak to him through Samuel. Saul would disobey God on multiple occasions, and something begins to happen in Saul's life. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit leaving him. Now we know in the New Testament, when we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit indwells us. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. God, the Holy Spirit, is inside of our lives, in us, giving us the power to live the Christian life. And that occurs at salvation. But in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would kind of temporarily empower people for acts of service unto the Lord. And the Spirit empowered Saul to be the warrior king. But the Spirit of God, God's blessing, God's hand, God's favor, left Saul. And the Bible says an evil spirit began to torment him. So this young boy, David, the youngest of eight sons, his father was named Jesse, and David was summoned to the king's court. And it's hard to know all the chronology in Samuel, what kind of moves around, but we have every reason to believe that David while Saul was still king, he was summoned to Saul's court. We're not sure if Saul really knew a lot about him, but God used David. He played the harp. He made beautiful music, and it would soothe this troubled king. Then we also know from 1 Samuel 17 that there was this challenger from the Philistines, an enemy nation next door to Israel, his name was Goliath. He was a champion. He was a powerful man of valor. And all of Israel was afraid to fight him except for David. David, in fact, is going to the battlefield because his father, Jesse, says, Here, take some food. Take some supplies to your older brothers. David shows up. He sees all of Israel cowering in fear. And he sees Goliath come out and make his rant against God and God's people. And he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine to curse the armies of the living God? And this faith and strength and hope just rises up within this young shepherd boy. And this young shepherd boy goes to the king. He goes to Saul and says, I'll fight him. And you know the story, David defeats him with just a few smooth stones and his sling. And they come back from that moment and all of Israel is celebrating. And they're talking about how Saul had killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And in that moment, a strong seed of jealousy is planted in the heart of King Saul. Again, it's hard to know all the chronology. This is from the way Samuel's written. But somehow, somewhere in this narrative, Samuel then goes to Jesse to anoint the next king. Basically, Samuel is grieving over Saul's disobedience, and 
The Lord says, quit grieving over Saul. Go and anoint the man that I'll show you. He goes to Jesse's house. And here's Samuel, the great prophet of God, who hears from God directly. He sees all of Jesse's sons. He's like, that's got to be the one. Look at him. The Lord says, no, I've rejected him. He rejected son number one all the way down to son number seven until you get to son number eight. Samuel says, is there another son? Is there, do you have another child? Yeah, just David out in the wilderness. Out, he's a shepherd. They call David in. The Lord speaks to Samuel. This is the one. He anoints David, the next king of Israel. But there's a problem because Saul's still the king. So David then begins this terrible, challenging, dangerous journey from being a shepherd to becoming the king of God's people. And Saul is enraged with jealousy, tries to kill David. David, he even has to go hang out with the Philistines. On one occasion, he acts like a madman, just so that they won't think that he's normal. So he just does all these things to try to keep himself protected, safe from Saul. On two occasions, David could actually have killed his enemy, King Saul, but he refused because he felt that Saul was the Lord's anointed leader of Israel. So if there was anyone who was ever for King Saul, it was David. So in the midst of all of this gossip and infighting and power struggle for the throne, something David never asked God for. It just kind of happens to David. He never asked God for it. In the same way, there's a storm that is now reaching land in Florida. And it's amazing with all of our technology how we can track the storm, have video of the storm, you know, figure out where it's going to go and all this and that. But no one on earth has control over the storm. No one. We can't stop the storm. We can't make the storm go a different direction. The storm is going to go where the storm is going to go. And you simply have to respond to the storm as it comes. For David, he's got a storm in his life. He has no control over it. He's trying to honor this king who is no longer supposed to be the king, yet he's supposed to be the king. He's trying to respect him, honor him. Yet all of his friends and colleagues are saying, he just wants to be the next king, and he's trying to go against Saul. And there's all this talk happening. Dangerous moment for Saul. For David and Saul, we come to Psalm 11. This is what David says. In the Lord I take refuge. I know you've been reading the stories, looking at the pictures. I read one yesterday of folks that are just standing in a line outside of a huge shelter. Seeking refuge from the storm. This morning I read a story where people had thought they were in a safe location. They had reserved a hotel room. And the hotel says, we're not a safe place. Go to a shelter. And one guy's like, I'm standing in line now to get into a shelter. And I had a hotel room. It's not safe anymore. Everyone's looking for shelter, for refuge, for this coming storm. David says, in the Lord I take refuge. And then, interestingly, he 
begins having a conversation with someone. We're not sure who he's talking about. Is he hearing voices in his head? Are these the counselors that are speaking things to him? We're not sure. He says, how can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend their bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the heart at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, verse 3, what can the righteous do? Someone's telling David, it may just be himself, it could be Satan, the enemy, or the devil speaking lies to him. He's hearing counsel from someone saying, run away, flee like a bird to the mountain. You didn't ask for this, David. You were just tending those sheep. You didn't ask Samuel to come and call you out and make you the next king of Israel. All this danger, all this trouble, just go fly away like a bird. Go to the mountain, David. That's where you need to go. David says, how can you say that to my soul? How? He speaks of the wicked bending the bow in the dark while he can't even see people conspiring against him. He's paranoid. He's afraid. The very foundations are destroyed. What can the righteous do? Listen, I know every generation believes that their generation is the worst or the best, depending on who you ask. And all throughout history, folks have said, okay, this is it. This is the end. Jesus Christ is coming back now. No one knows when he will. No one. However, It doesn't take much to just look around and look at the very foundations and fabric of the world and realize the very foundations of civilization are being shaken. The very foundation of civilization is family. God breathed the breath of life into Adam fashioned for Adam a wife, Eve, blessed them, gave them the wonderful blessing to give birth to children and be fruitful and multiply. That was God's intention from the very beginning, was family to perpetuate the human race and to pass the gospel on to every generation. But there's no foundational institution of society more under attack than family. A radical redefinition of marriage to where the majority of America believes that God's intention for marriage of man and woman doesn't need to be defined anymore by law. There was a day in time, listen, there was a day in time when Kids would go to school just a few years ago, and they would have to learn the Bible. It makes sense to learn the Bible in school because this is the best-selling book in the world. How could you not 
read the most influential, most best-selling book that's ever been written. Oh, but oh, but oh no, there's truth in there. It's going to offend. And this American experiment for freedom is coming back to bite us. (laughs) Because this radical freedom, which freedom do you want? Radical, secular individualism, that freedom? Or the freedom to have expression of your faith? And that freedom's being challenged, the foundation's being shaken. Things that you just sort of take for granted, like respect for governing authorities. (laughs) There is so little respect right now for governing authorities of, of any political party. Nothing but frustration, riots, anarchy, a real fear that many people have toward those in law enforcement. Just like the very foundations of an orderly society are just shaken right now. And then literally, physically, the earth is shaking. Here's Mexico having the worst earthquake in 100 years. Here is a hurricane, Irma, five times bigger than Andrew, which absolutely destroyed Florida in 1992. And it's followed by Jose. It was preceded by the terrible hurricane that's flooded Houston. It's just crazy the stuff that's happening just in the past couple of weeks. How the earth is shaking. The wildfires out west are the worst wildfires in a decade. And if you listen to the news long enough, you'll get depressed. You'll become fearful. You'll find yourself being like David saying, flee to the mountain like a bird. Lord, just get me out of here. What in the world is going on in this world around me? And that's just scratching the surface. Because in this room right now, there are storms, there are trials, there are problems, there's relationship struggles, family struggles, there's sickness, there's frustrations, there's relationship challenges, there's heartache and headaches and struggles at work and at home and everywhere else, secret addictions that are trying to consume your life, there's anger, there's fear, there's worry. We have our own mess to deal with. And then you compound that with all the mess around us. And if you're like me, sometimes I just want to say, Lord, can I just fly away like a bird to the mountain? David was getting that. David was hearing that from someone. And then he gives the answer in verse 4. He says, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see. His eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold 
his face. So why do we want to run away and hide when the Lord is seated upon the throne? Now, I don't understand how Satan can be loose in this world wreaking havoc. I don't understand how all these things happen and somehow over it all, somehow not directly causing evil because God is too pure to do that. But God had a wise professor in seminary say one time, if you, if you believe that God is sovereign over all things, then God stands behind good and God stands behind evil, yet He stands behind evil in a way that we can't understand. That somehow God is above it all, on His throne, seeing it, refusing right now to execute his judgment, but the Bible is very clear, all right? In verse 6, let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur and a scorching wind. We know from the story in Genesis 18 and 19 of Sodom and Gomorrah how the Lord had to get the righteous out of that city. Very much in mercy, seeking that the people would repent from their wickedness. But God rained down, he rained down fire in judgment. We know from Genesis chapter 6 that the Lord looked over the whole earth and saw that there was no one on the earth who feared him except for one man named Noah. And now God, in his mercy and grace, rescued out those that were righteous. And then God brought swift judgment upon the entire world. God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Not our job to bring any judgment upon anybody. God will take care of that. But He tests us. He tests those that are righteous through Jesus Christ. He is testing us to see, will we trust Him? Will we believe in all of His promises? Will we cling to Him in the midst of a world that's gone crazy? Will we put our hope and our trust in the Lord. That's the test. Our entire lives, as brief as they are, that's the test. Because eternity, heaven, that's what it's all about. And this life is just the brief test that will then extend through all eternity. So God is testing us. God is looking he sees all that's going on, and he's on his throne. The older I get, the more comfort I find in the sovereignty of God. There's a part of us that wants to wrestle against that, that wants to somehow glorify human freedom. And God does give us Real choices that really matter, that produce outcomes, absolutely. But somehow, God is sovereign over all that too. He is on His throne. He is seated on His throne. He is not caught off guard by any projection of Irma. He is not caught off guard by what just happened to you last week. God is on His throne. He is on His throne. That comforts me, church. That comforts me greatly 
to know that God is on His throne and He sees all these things that I see and I can't put them all together. I just see all this junk, all this mess in my own life, in the world. God, what, what, what's going to happen? And we find ourselves, if we're not careful, spiraling out of control in fear, panic, worry. Turn back to Joshua chapter 1. There's a word for you there, for all of us. In Joshua chapter 1, now look, here's this guy. A few weeks ago we preached about Joshua and Caleb and how they had faith that it's not what you see, it's what you believe. And Caleb and Joshua, they saw the promised land and they said, yes, the Lord's going to give it to us. They had faith. Yet here in Joshua chapter 1, Moses has died Now Joshua's in charge of this nation. And that faith and that courage that Joshua had in Numbers 14 seems to be shrinking away. And here is Joshua, afraid, needing courage. Three times in the first chapter, God tells him, be strong and courageous. Look at verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So no matter what you face, no matter what we face, the Bible's promise is that we are not to be afraid. Church, We are not to be afraid about the future. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. You worry about nothing but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. Make your request to God and He promises His peace. You can have His peace today. You don't have to be worried. You don't have to say, I've got to run away. I've got to fly away. You don't have to be afraid about your children or your grandchildren. What's this world going to be for them? Oh God, please, listen, God wants your prayers. God wants you to trust Him and plead for the next generation. Absolutely. But make sure you're pleading for the next generation With faith, not fear. Oh God, please, what's going to happen? The Bible says, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Why? The Lord our God is with us wherever we go. John Wesley said this, Until my work on the earth is done, I am immortal. But when my work for Christ is done, I go to be with Jesus. Do not fear death. The Bible says, fear only the one who has the power to destroy the soul in hell. Don't be foolish. Don't be rash. Make wise choices with your life. But by all means, church, let us not be afraid. The Lord our God is with us wherever we go. And in Joshua 1.8, he is very clear how God's word, the book of the law, he says, shall not depart from your mouth, Joshua. You're to meditate upon God's word day and night and do all that I've said in this word. Your way shall be prosperous with success. It's a powerful promise. The foundations of the world may be shaken, And they're going to be shaken even more in the future. 
But there's a promise in God's word that says the grass withers, the flowers may fade, but the word of God stands forever. Let's put our hope in God and in his word. Turn over to Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, we come to the end of Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount. Starting in verse 24, Jesus says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Real clear, Jesus says, you want your life to last? You want your life to stand? You want to be able to face the storm that is coming? It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. When it comes, then you build your life on what Jesus says and do what he says. You build your life on the rock. But if we build our lives upon the sinking sand, and everything we see around us says, build your life on this, Buy this, experience this, have this image to show everybody on social media how awesome you are, to show everyone that your life's all together, but it's not all together. There's trials in your life. There's fear in your life. Be real with God. Come to him. Build your life on his rock, the rock of his word, the truth of who Jesus is. It's like the old hymn says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils His lovely face, I rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, His covenant, His blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before his throne. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Pray with me. Father, we... If the foundations are shaken or destroyed, what will the righteous do? Lord, I know what we can do. We can turn our eyes to you and build our lives upon the truth of your word and be your church and love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love others around us with your love. We're not to judge. We're not to hate. We're to love all people. We're to share the love of Jesus with everyone, God. Help us to build our lives upon this rock because the storms are here. The people in Florida have no choice but to respond to this storm that is going to come swallow up their state. Oh, God, have mercy on them. Lord, help us to realize that we have no control over all these things that we think we have control over. God, help us to trust you, to look to you with faith, 
to believe your word, Lord, to let your word be upon our lips, to build our lives upon the rock of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Perhaps today, God, somebody thinks they're good enough to get to heaven, that you'll give them a pass. Lord, you will not give anyone a pass. You are the Holy One of heaven. You will not allow anyone unholy into your presence, Lord. There's only one way to be saved. It's through Jesus Christ. Let hearts be bowed before him today, trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Lord, others just need encouragement and comfort and strength and courage today, God. Let them know, God, that they can have faith and hope in the midst of a world that's gone crazy. Lord, you are the rock. We build our lives upon you. And if we're building our lives upon anything else, help us to remove those barriers, God. Break up the rocks in our life, Father. Break up the things, the little pebbles that will never hold up the full weight of life. Let us remove the little rocks and the junk that we have and build our lives upon the rock of Jesus Christ. Upon Jesus alone can we stand against the trials that come our way. Lord, we trust you. Encourage your church today, God. Let us not leave here afraid, wondering if, is God really for me? God, your word says if God is for us, who can be against us, God? Of course you're for us. You love us. Give us that courage and faith to trust you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And we're going to sing a song that really goes beautifully with the message. And I want to call you to stand and respond as the Lord might lead you. We've got all the time in the world. If the Holy Spirit is stirring your heart for any reason today and you need to respond in prayer, you can just come on down. I'll pray with you. Maybe today you just need, you don't know what you need, but you know you need something, all right? If that's you, come on. We'll talk about it. We'll pray about it. Maybe today you're like, Pastor, I just... I'm so burdened for this world. I, I, I just want to pray for the people of Florida and Texas. And you come and you pray. Whatever God is doing in your heart, listen to Him. Respond to Him. Build your life upon the truth of His Word, upon the truth of Jesus Christ, our Lord.